Hey guys, I'm Nick. And I'm Eugene. Welcome to Papercut. This week, we'll be talking about The Time Machine by H.G. Wells. The story goes like this. It starts off at a party where the narrator discusses and talks with one of the main characters, the time traveller. Now, the time traveller is convinced that he's made a machine that can travel through time. Uh, in the title of the story. Really? Oh my. <laughs> so he takes in, accidentally ends up in 802701 AD, the first time, way into the future. And he meets these sort of four foot tall people in purple cloaks and they look happy and fragile and just childish. So the time traveller called this the apex of communism. He reasoned that these folks didn't have the strength needed to really survive in the natural world. The struggle as a prerequisite to intelligence, as in they didn't have to think too hard for anything, and they didn't even have to create family units to fight nature together. So in other words, he's reasoned that the society of people here, he calls the Eloys, are testament to forces against nature, that you can succumb it. So he spends a day in the future and then he decides to leave. But when he tries to find his time machine, the time machine goes missing. And so he decides, all right, chill out, sleep here for a day. And he wakes up the next day and boom, he sees this little girl, four foot being, drowning. And so he rescues her and finds that she's called Wiener. And they start to form an intimate relationship right there. We don't know exactly how far it went, but we know it's quite intimate from very various descriptions. Now, he also sees these white apish creatures looking a bit like, you know, monkeys. And he calls them the Morlocks. And he's reasoned that the reason they look the way they do is partially also because they live underground. They live underground and the Eloys live above ground. And he's reasoned that the Morlocks are forced underground to be workers and the Eloys are the sort of happy-go-lucky class. And so in the end, with a bit of help from Wiener, he gets a few tools and he finds that actually it was the Morlocks that took his time machine. So, and the Morlocks, because they live on the ground, they are afraid of fire and, and intense light. So he brings his matches, he brings his torches, and he goes and finds his time machine wherever he can. And so before you know it, he starts a fire and that fire becomes a big forest fire. And through that, he manages to fend off the Morlocks, find his time machine, and he goes into the future again, finds some crap people, goes further into the future, finds some green slime, and boom, he's back at the dinner party again. And he tells the narrator that he will explain it all later on. The guests all leave the party. The narrator looks for the time traveler one last time in his room to find that the time traveler and the time machine are both gone. And that's how it ends. So Eugene, I understand that you've read this book as well. Could I get some of your thoughts on the plot and everything, the story and everything? Yeah, well, it's interesting that this book's called The Time Machine, right? But actually, I feel like the time-travelling element is just uh, one of the subplots of the book. As with a lot of other H.G. Wells books, I don't know if you've read any of them, just saying stuff like War of the Worlds, um, Food of Gods, they are all about seemingly science fiction stuff. But the main theme of those books are always human nature and what its implications are. So for War of the Worlds, it was like, you have an alien species coming in to attack you, what happens uh, when humans are left on their own, what, what, what happens to like different kind of people, and all that stuff. Um, food of Gods is a bit different. Food of Gods is like, you start eating this genetically modified food and 
you get those like huge giants like those people who grew grew up eating the food and they grow into like giants and what how humans deal with them how humans react to them mm. and for this one i feel like the main theme that wells is trying to get at is the class structure of i guess the victorian society that he lives in back then so just to reiterate, right, you have in the future, you have the Eloys and the Morlocks. So the Eloys are the ones who are living quite well off all that kind of stuff. Above and then ground, the Morlocks yeah. are the ones that are doing all the dirty work. Mm. So the narrator says, okay, the Eloys are actually what would be the upper class in my society. And the Morlocks are the lower class of my society. And this is naturally how things will turn out. When resources deplete and, you know, they keep to their own living habits, this, this is what will happen in the future so i feel like you know this book isn't really about time traveling it's more about the implications of the typical victorian society model so yeah okay it's interesting that you say that too because i didn't actually when i first read it feel too much into the class struggle part but i did feel the part when you said that it's not really a time travel book because when you think about it really hard the time traveling aspects in my opinion are limited to perhaps the first 10% of the book where they explain time as a fourth dimension, moving, traversing time, and that's it. Mm. Whereas in this one, you could easily replace the word time machine with spaceship and the year, what was it, 800,000 something AD with another planet and you would nothing of substance would change from the book. In yeah, you get opinion. the same story, basically. You get the same story. And the thing about time travel plots that are attractive to our average day readers is that you get the paradoxical element in it, right? Exactly. So, you know, in Harry Potter, they, mm-hmm. they think about whether um, the hippogriff uh, has been rescued or not. I forgot what his name was. Hip- yeah, Buckbeak. Yeah, yeah. Buckbeak, right, yeah. And then in, you know, Back to the Future, you have stuff like, uh, is it Bucky? He gets the Alamark and then it changes the future and then he has, they have to go fix that. So like there's a whole consequential thing of, you know, going back to the future, uh, going back, back to, to the, the past, past and doing something and changing the future. Now, this isn't the case here because the past doesn't actually exist, right? Not in the story. Not no. in the story, exactly. Because like the period that the narrator lives in is as far back as they have gone yeah they don't go they don't go further back than that they only go forwards yeah so there's no such thing as i've changed what i know because you, you only change stuff in the future you don't change stuff in the past mm-hmm. so yeah there there is that yeah it's i guess that's what that's my little pet peeve that it it doesn't have those elements that we talked about and so it could really just be another science a sci-fi book and so I think you touched on this as well. A lot of H.G. Wells' books, I have, I've read a few. I've read Invisible Man, War of the Worlds, and this one. And what I felt is that, and I think this will be the same for most science fiction books as well, the science can be different, the technology can be different, but what the book will always highlight is the human experience behind it. And I think that's what transcends everything else. This is why books like these survive for so long. Mm-hmm. It's almost saying like no matter how advanced we get, some things never change. You know, that sort of mindset and that sort of idea. And so in something like the time machine, the technology is there and this is where I think he fails as well. Because he's got the technology nailed down. Like for me the most interesting part of the book was actually the first part where he actually talks about time and everything. Mm-hmm. Especially when you put it into the context of the time because I think This book was published in 1895. This was before Einstein or Lawrence, they published their papers on special relativity. So the idea of relativity was not a thing. 
the idea of space-time as one fabric, I'm not sure if it was very popular back then, but I don't think it was. And also, there's also an idea that he talks about. You, I think you mentioned sort of the working class and the elite class splitting off. Mm-hmm. He touches upon the idea of the ideas of Darwin as well, which were I think forty years earlier. Basically, origin of species, evolution, and everything. And he touches upon these. These were all new ideas at the time, and I, that's the part I found most interesting. I believe it or not, did not find the plot very interesting because first of all. I didn't. Th- I felt like yes, there is a story to be told about the human experience and all this, but I don't think he's done it very well. Secondly, I wasn't too entranced by the language as well. So from that angle, I didn't really, I didn't really like that. To be fair, Wales has a way with words. Like I feel like while his stories are interesting, sometimes his works can be a little bit hard to read. Although I do agree with the point that we sometimes forget that when we read these books, they are actually published ages ago. Like mm. that's when those ideas are still new, and all the plot device that we talked about, like time paradox and all that stuff, it probably wasn't even considered to be a plot element back then. So you know, it makes sense that Wells might not have explored that bit because well, no one else has written anything much like this around that time. Because you can say that this book. Was ahead of its time. <laughs> oh my god! Where's my award now? I can't believe you said that. <laughs> I had to. I oh had no, to. you had to. I'm, I I'll, had to. I'll give it to you. I can't believe. Oh god. It's true. I was actually doing a bit of research about this book and this topic just now, and I found out actually the whole concept of traversing through time. I don't think it's been mentioned much in many other cultures and many other things. Like the closest thing they get to is sort of I flow through this river of time, this eternal river of time yeah. that what has always has been, what will always be, that sort of thing. There's no actual like I'm gonna hop to this point of time, I'm gonna hop to that point of time. It's not really a thing. And I think H. G. Wells's um, The Time Machine was one of those things that popularized the word time machine first off. And secondly, it popularized the idea of time travel. I don't actually know. How, I mean, the idea of time travel. Yeah. Not even the story of it. Just the idea of it. It'll be interesting to see when things like the grandfather paradox was like postulated or first brought up. I'm actually not too sure about that. But there you have it. The thing about grandfather paradox is that it gets mentioned a lot, but it never gets addressed. There is. I guess there's no definitive way to address yeah. it. It's still one of those topics where people still talk I do, about. I mean, like, kind of kind of off topic here, but I do kind of want to see someone make a film or, like, a book and actually address one of the possible solutions to it instead of just tabooing it and be like, oh, it's going to be something that we're not going to touch on, you know? <laughs> just thought. I mean, there are many ways to think about it. Like, there's, like, many worlds theory... Yeah. Um, or just the paradox consumes itself and just you just go back to square one. I swear many worlds theory just solves everything. It's like an easy way out, isn't it? It's too easy in a yeah. way out. I, I think you know what I mean. It's too easy a it's way out. It's too convenient, out. right? I mean, there have been other papers published on this as well. I don't know the things too, uh, the thingies too well, what's actually been published, but yeah. I, I know that there has been further work on it. But like you know, like I said, these are one of those things where we have no definitive answers to them yet. Speaking of time travel, you know, so we both have science degrees. Do you have any thoughts about sort of time travel as a concept as a whole? Well, you know what they say: time travel is 
impossible. That's a standard answer that any, I guess, science student will give you. I wouldn't. I never give that answer. Really? I will never give that answer. I thought. I thought it was like e equals m c squared. If you travel faster, something something. Oh no! The reason I will never say that is because it's wrong. Think is about it? it. We're traveling through time right now. <sighs> I know. I gave you. I, I did. I, uh... I gave you the switch. I gave you the switch, but I think I know what you mean. Like traveling. So sorry. Reversing my entropy. So, I guess we'll touch on this briefly. There's an idea in physics that suggests that if you increase, that the area of time follows the direction of increasing entropy. And entropy is basically the amount of disorder there is in a system. So, the more disordered a system is, the more entropy it has. So, if a building pops up, sorry, if a building falls down, the entropy is said to have increased. Mm -hmm. And that's why, if you look at houses of cards, for example, if they fall down, the entropy there is increased. Whereas if you watch a pile of cards just magically float up, the entropy has reversed. And so by that definition, you're looking at time reverse as well. And for people like us who well perceive time in one way, that's why it seems a bit weird, really. But I think reversing time is one thing, but there is certainly ideas and ways that are tested to show how you can actually go through time slower and it's not even just like you're feeling time go slower for example like when you're doing a plank for your abs okay it might have been kidding when you do a plank it feels like a, a minute feels like an hour oh yeah totally and <laughs> um, but it's actually measurable as well so one way everyone's talked about it well no one actually no no one's talked about it but one way you can change perceive time differently right perceive yeah. time differently well for one way to, one way to address it is to stand up and walk relative to someone who's standing still. The idea is that if you're in movement, the time you experience is basically shorter. It's time dilation, right? Time dilation. If you go near a black hole, then you go full interstellar and your daughter will be older than you. Apparently there is some truth to that. I've never actually watched Interstellar, but I've heard about that. And apparently it's because gravity stretches time or something like that. I'm, I'm, call, yeah. I'm, call, I'm you, quoting you're the sounding, You're sounding a bit like Alex Jones here, just saying. <laughs> gravity bends Gravity time. steeps in. <laughs> It's turning like the Einstein's physics, Smash Bank's physics shows that. Okay, never mind. And it's turning the frogs gay. <laughs> oh my god. I mean, yeah, another way to actually like, sort of slow down time is to stand up because technically, technically, you're, you're um, further away from the earth and therefore your head is experiencing time slower than your feet. So that's why, like, if you actually look at orbits in space, the times they experience and the times that we experience are so different. And that's why you also have to calibrate, actually, what information you send to the satellite in space. Yeah. Which I find quite cool. I remember learning that and forgetting about it. Oh, yeah. It's great. It's great. But stuff. I think in terms of fiction, time travel is quite an interesting idea. But you know all the different works out there about time travel. They're pretty much the same story, all of them. In what sense? In, in the sense that you go back in time, try to fix something, and then it doesn't get fixed. <laughs> I don't know, for some reason, I, I suddenly like I thought about 12 Monkeys. It's just, it's a classic time travel movie where you start with a scene, and then you end with the exact same scene, but with like a different perspective at a different time. I'll have you know, Avengers Endgame taught me something different. <laughs> It's yeah. taught me that I don't actually want superpowers. I want the ability to go back in time and change my mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Avengers Endgame is just... I don't even know what to say about the whole... Is it Lotus? 
Lotus. Uh, what's her name? The 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 blue the blue Nebula. Person. Nebulas, yeah. Nebula. Nebula. Nebula kills her past self. Oh. Come on, what the. F- I mean, I guess that's the grandfather paradox, and they actually, you know, they went ahead, and they took a stab at trying to solve it mm-hmm. by basically not addressing the problems of Nebula killing her past self. But that's just one bit of the film where I'm just like, ooh. Not sure I uh, understand what's going on here, but it's a superhero film, so I'm gonna move on and pretend I didn't see that. Yeah, try not to think yeah. too hard of superhero movies. I'd say, um, but you know what I'm talking about. I know right? what you're talking about. I know what you're talking about. I'm just trying to think of other like time travel thingies in fiction that make it more interesting. You know, I mean, we can we can say Back to the Future when Marty nearly messes up his parents. Yeah. And then, like, he starts disappearing from the picture. And then, but then you can go, like, but then if he disappears, he was never there to um, mess it up in the first place. I think this is why the time machine peeves me so much. There's so many great ideas you can draw from. And, I mean, not just limited to this, because let's face it, my idea is probably not that great. But there's so many great ideas you can draw on. They're just not shown in the time machine. Personally, I, I think all the time travel stuff, like... I think my brain's too small to comprehend, so I take the Rick and Morty point of view. Yeah. That time travel's stupid. Just don't think about it. Oh, oh no, yeah, time travel's stupid, and don't think about it. Time travel's stupid, don't think about it. That's how I probably address the yeah. ideas of time travel. I mean, the universe will find a way to fix itself. It's not for us to worry about. Yeah, basically. The idea of class structure, Why? one way I guess we could look at this is you bring a class structure into this and I suppose it's sort of saying that maybe in our futures this is what's going to be like maybe that's why he used a time machine as opposed to a spaceship because mm-hmm. you know sometimes with art right it's things that the artist didn't do as opposed to the things that the artist did do that's why you have blank canvases selling for millions of dollars it's money laundering but it, the idea is very much that the artist could have drawn something amazing, but they chose not to. They chose to take a dump for me instead on their canvas. And that's what they've gone with. So what if it's something similar for Wells here as well? So he could have gone for a spaceship idea, but what he was trying to get at was, this is the futures we're heading to if this thing keeps persisting. If this sort of class struggle, upper class, lower class thing keeps going, we're going to go for a future where the workers, all they know is darkness and just working. And all the, elite, the elites get dumber and dumber and dumber until they become these childlike thingies. Maybe it was more of a warning against that. Now, obviously, that doesn't happen anymore because we now live in a beautiful utopian society. Exactly. Where everyone's equal. And there's no such thing as class struggle anymore. What class, man? We're all the same class. The human race. Exactly. All in the same race. Yeah, one unified race. Yeah, so he could probably be alluding to that. Maybe I'm just reading too much into it. What do you think? It is possible. I mean, as you said, Wells does have the ability to change this into a going a lot into the space part and going to a different galaxy and seeing a planet like Earth. Yeah. But only they started off like billions of years ago or thousands of years ago. So I do think this is kind of like a warning or not really a warning, but more like a rant of Wells what will happen if we keep going on if we keep doing what we're doing now right mm-hmm. so it's the same thing with um, his other books as well I guess it's just the general way that he writes his books really although saying that I didn't really see any thoughts that he had in uh, The Invisible Man Yeah, I guess it's more of um, a, a I want to say a signpost uh, a sort of 
just like a thought. Maybe he had a thought one day when he was taking a shower or something, and he just wrote this book. It's entirely possible. Exactly. It like really we could. might be reading a bit too much into it. Although you know that that's what this podcast is for. Exactly. It's it's art. Exactly. <laughs> the only difference between this and the painting art is well, this one we're not money laundering. We're not money laundering, are yeah. we? God, money launderers. Anyway, I mean, I think that's all I really want to say about the book. I think you had a quote you wanted to share with us as well. Yeah. So it's related to class struggle a bit. So it says here. Nature never appeals to intelligence until habit and instincts are useless. There is no intelligence where there is no need of change. Basically, saying you know, status quo makes you dumb. It makes sense. Though. It makes sense. Unfortunately, it's like being at the same job for like twenty years. It it relates to actually it relates to your book last week of the whole thinking fast and slow. Yeah, you you have the fast wire bit and you have the slow wire bit. Like people do their job so much that everything is fast wired.、Mm. And but the slow wire is actually the one that exercises your brain, so it can actually get a bit dumb after doing the same thing over and over again. It's actually interesting that you bring that up again because、um, it relates to another book I read,、um, Anti Fragile by Nicol-、uh, Nicholas. I think Nassim Taleb. I think his name was. And it's interesting that you also mentioned that you know if you basically you know if you if you're stagnating for so long, you're not going to change, but. And one of the things people don't like to admit to themselves is it's that it's the people in the fringes that propel everyone forward. So let's say everyone has a hundred IQ, and that is that is the average、mm-hmm. across the board. If everyone has that, it's not the people in the middle that are going to cause any significant changes. It's the people at the tail ends. And when I mean that, I mean the very very smart, the Bill Gateses and the Jeff Bezoses of this world, and also the very very dumb. The me and yous. The me. Well, well, let's not get ahead of、oh, ourselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. But yeah, it will be them that push everyone forwards or backwards. Unfortunately, or fortunately for us. So, yeah, I guess it relates to that point as well. But it's interesting. I the way I thought of this quote when you said it out loud was that intelligence is very situational. I guess there is an element of that as well. So I think the there is a full stop in this quote. I guess so. There are two different. Points he wants to make. So the first bit will be the circumstantial bit, which is like if everyone's back to square one, it doesn't matter how intelligent you are. Like I can be able to read Max Planck's paper like like that and understand it. It doesn't matter in a world where if there's no resources readily available. If we live in a farm, for example, it doesn't matter. I'm that smart because it's not applicable. So、it's、that's、true. the first bit, right?、Mm-hmm. And then the second bit will be okay. If you have resources available, there's what happens. You will tend to stick to the status quo, and you will get dumber and dumber. So that's the second bit, right? Yeah. The there is no intelligence when there is no、yeah. need to change. I suppose. Yeah. I I guess this relates to this idea that for every species, you need a certain level of intelligence to operate to survive. And when there is a struggle, intelligence comes with it. So.、Yeah. He could be talking about consciousness. Well, we know. I don't. That's a. That's another rabbit. Again,、hole. we could be looking a bit too much into this. Art's what you take out of it. <laughs> exactly. Right. It's not about the paintings, about the essay. Quote Eugene twenty twenty. I put it out of my ass just now. Pan pending. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think on that note, I'm happy to end it here. Right, any final thoughts, Eugene? Uh, nah.、Um, same here. Just. I do. I do think this book's worth reading. 
it's quite a short read so if any of you are like free over like a day or two then there's definitely some book that you can just plow through and yeah never look through again See, I think I'm on the other side of the spectrum here. I just say, read it if you want to quote H.G. Wells or if you want some H.G. Wells' work, but I would not recommend it. I'm okay. sorry, I wouldn't recommend it. Nah, we will agree to disagree. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Some of us can hold wrong opinions, that's fine. I wonder which one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right, on that note. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. All right, guys. That's all we have for today. Thank you for listening in. If you like what we do, follow us on Spotify. Just type in Paper Cut Podcast in your search bar or in any of your other preferred streaming sites. If you want to leave us a comment or let us know what you think, you can email us at papercut.cast at gmail.com or Instagram at papercut.cast, no caps. Or Twitter. At Papercut Podcast. One word, no caps. Look forward to seeing you guys next week for another episode. Until then, I'm Nick. And I'm Eugene. Peace. Out.